This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind, I give you Super Train. Episode 351, submission number 1541. That's my mama. That's my mama aired on ABC from September 4th, 1974 to December 24th, 1975 for 39 episodes over two seasons. Welcome to Oscar's Barbershop, named after my daddy who passed it on to me. It's been a part of Washington, D.C. a long time. This is me, Clifton Curtis, my own boss and loving every minute of it. And this is my little sister, Tracy, and her husband, Leonard. This is my best friend, happy-go-lucky Earl. And this wonderful person, well... That's my mama. Guys, I don't declare this often. That is a banger. Okay, so we're going into this year's celebration of Black History Month. Remember last year, or was it the year before? It was one year where we did the Sanford verse, and that was a good couple of episodes. Now we're going to get into a, a really good episode about a show that has been referenced repeatedly in pop culture, but I'm not really sure that anybody really knows what it's about. I disagree, and I'll tell you why. Well, hold on. First off, Sanford verse was September of 2020, so that was nowhere near uh, February of any year. Oh, my mistake. So this is our first Black History Month week. As far as I know, yes. Nice. Okay. But getting back to what I was going to say, you said that nobody really knows about it. I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. And again, we're sort of shifting... Where we talk about stuff in the show, we usually would save this for after we go through the episodes and what happened and where you can watch it. That's My Mama did air a number of years ago. I want to say, oh, it had to be about 10, 15 years ago, like in the early days that uh, TV One started. Yeah. Yeah. TV One, of course, the uh, uh, television offshoot of Radio One, the uh, prominent urban radio network. Yeah, so it aired a while. So it's not like this has been sitting in a vault for 47, 48, 49 years gathering dust. It has been seen. And also, again, not to shift the show around too much, the entire series is available on DVD. Not only that, the entire series is available on Crackle as well. If you can't bother with the security of uh, hard media. So you can watch the entire series right now. Just saying. 
So, what was this show about? Yeah, I heard it in the theme song. We have a happy-go-lucky barber named Clifton Curtis who inherited his father's barber shop after he died before the series. Of course, he enjoys being a swinging bachelor. He loves the freedom his life provides. And he loves, you know, spending the day doing his job and hanging out with his two best friends. Earl, an easygoing mailman, and Junior, a suave and good-humored ladies' man. But aside from dealing with his friends and his work, he's also dealing with his family. Most notably, his little sister Tracy, her new husband Leonard, who is just a very stodgy, conservative guy. He's completely Clifton's opposite. And then there's Mama. Tart-tongued, good-natured, loving, and opinionated Eloise Curtis, who can always be counted on to have an opinion about anything. But more than anything, just wants Clifton to settle down and find the nice woman. That's all any mama wants, really. So, in keeping with the times, we have a nice family dynamic with a really talented cast, it looks like. For one, Clifton Curtis, played by the incomparable Clifton Davis. I mean, what hasn't he done? You remember him from Amen. Fun fact, he wrote the Jackson 5's Never Can Say Goodbye, if you love that song. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Hey, you know what I have to say about that? Oh, neat! And then playing Mama, Eloise Curtis, an actress and comedian by the name of Teresa Merritt, actress, comedian, and singer. You would know her from her roles as Aunt M in the film version of The Wiz in 1978. Auntie M! Auntie M! I'm sorry. Was that your impression of Diana Ross, Mike? (laughs) And she also appeared as Juanita in the Adam Sandler opus, Billy Madison. Oh, yes! She was excellent in Billy Madison. Especially the part when Billy decided he wouldn't want to go to school. Because wasn't it if if he didn't go to school, he'd have to like shave her armpits? I remember the scene right. Something like that? Eh, We'll just play the scene right here. Okay. I swear to God, I'm sick. I can't go to school. If you're going to stay home today, you can help me shave my armpits. (laughs) Oh my God. God, I'll go to school. But her big claim to fame, the role that put her on the map, she was on Broadway playing the titular role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I don't know if you saw the movie version with uh, Viola, I I don't know if it was Viola Davis, but I know Chadwick Boseman was in it. I think that was his last role before he died. Yeah, that was his last role. That was uh, the role he was nominated for an Oscar for. Which, everyone thought he was going to win the Oscar. And they saved it last. And then, 
Anthony Hopkins won it? And everyone was like, what the ever-loving F? Like, even Anthony Hopkins didn't show up to the Oscars. He thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to win this award with Chadwick Boseman nominated. Yeah. And I just checked. Yes, that is Viola Davis's Ma Rainey. So. By the way, EGOT Viola Davis, I should say. Yeah, because didn't she just win a Grammy? Yep. Yeah, for, I think, audiobook. And uh, sadly, of course, Teresa Merritt no longer with us. She died in June of 1998 of skin cancer. Playing the role of Clifton's little sister, Tracy, is Lynn Moody, who was known as Irene Harvey in Roots when that aired on ABC and Roots The Next Generation. She also played the role of Patricia Williams in two seasons of Knott's Landing. Of course, the last thing she did was a 2009 TV movie called Mrs. Washington Goes to Smith. What the hell is that? I have no idea, but she played a dean of students, it looks like. Well, we did mention her a couple weeks ago. She was a guest star on an episode. I forget what. I'm looking here and I can't figure out what episode uh, we talked about her. But we purposely held back saying she was on That's My Mama. Because we didn't want to sort of tip our hand and say, hey, we're going to talk about her in two or three weeks. But also, where you might know her from, we've talked about her in the past. Because uh, I can tell you right now, she was in ER. She was in, well, I thought it was... After that, like I said, I thought it was only like two, three, four weeks ago. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, she was in ER. But also, we've talked about her in the past because she was a pretty key role in the last season of Soap because she played Billy Crystal's girlfriend when mm-hmm. he was going through some transitional therapy, some stuff that we don't like talking about nowadays, and also pushing the card even more interracial relationships. So a lot of... Kind of taboo stuff back in 1981, 1980. And she was also on 10 Speed and Brown Shoe, and I don't think that was where we talked about her, but that's a little more recent than ER. Her husband was played by Lyle Wilson, her husband Leonard. Now, Lyle Wilson was known for his guest appearances on Lou Grant, The White Shadow, and Falcon Crest. And that was pretty much it. But he also is no longer with us. He died of a brain tumor in 2010. And playing the roles of his two best friends, Earl and Junior, Earl was played by Teddy Wilson, who we talked about with Sanford Arms. And Junior was played by Ted Lange. A.K.A. Isaac Washington from The Love Boat. Isaac, your bartender. And was most recently on The Real Love Boat. Yes. Which is going to definitely be a future entry. Yes, it is. (laughs) Oh, how can it not be? How can it not be a future entry? It was the first TV show that was canceled this season. And it gives us an excuse to talk about Jerry O'Connell. But let's yep. remember, Rebecca Romaine is 
number one in our hearts. Because she's number one on Strange New Worlds. Yeah, yeah. yeah we get that. that. We get I that. Get that. Uh, rounding out the cast is local seniors Josh and Wildcat. Josh was played by DeForest Coven, who is known as a vaudeville performer from his first appearance in 1936 as the singing kid. Oh, but he actually has another maybe real memorable role, a small mm-hmm. one, uh-huh. but you've definitely seen him. Yeah. He was one of Apollo Creed's corner men in Rocky. Yeah. And kind of timely, considering a couple of weeks, we'll have Creed 3 coming out. And just remember, Chico, Kang the Conqueror, he's going to f*** Donnie Creed up. Oh, God. Yeah. I have to start censoring already, Greg. <laughs> all, I can, all I can say is uh, not a good time to put a movie out. Maybe wait another week. And Wildcat was played by Jester Harrison, who would go on to work alongside Clifton Davis as Raleigh Forbes on Amen. And I'm going to say this right now, and you may disagree with me, and that's fine. Raleigh made Amen. I'm not going to disagree on that. No, no. He's sort of like the Tony Shalhoub of Amen. Not just because it made... Chester Harrison's career, but he was Amen. He was, oh, he was such a great uh, character. He was. I don't know why on that one. No, there was not a career that was not made by that show. I mean, you had Amory Johnson, you had Roz Ryan, Clifton Davis, obviously. Clifton Davis, Sherman Hemsley. His career was made like two times over on that show. Barbara Montgomery. And also, oh my, oh my God, Mother Winslow was on Amen, y'all. Mother Winslow was on Amen. Yes, Mother Winslow. And also Elsa Raven as Inga, the Deacon Swedish housekeeper. But fun fact, Elsa Raven, not Swedish, she American. And unfortunately, Amen doesn't get the same praise that the Golden Girls gets, even though they air it on the same network on the same night. I mean, I know Golden Girls ran eight years and A-Man ran like, what, five, four. But still, A-Man, I don't think it's even rerun anywhere nowadays. It was on Cozy for a while, but it's been probably a good, like, six, eight months since I've seen A-Man on Cozy. I have to wonder if it's being tied up as part of the estate of Johnny Carson. I don't know. Now? Johnny Carson died in, like, 05. Why would it take 20 years for it to be tied up? It, like I said, it aired on Cozy, I want to say, like, August, September of last year. It wasn't that long ago, but they did remove it from the schedule for whatever reason. And I'm doing some uh, research here. It is on Canopy, Voodoo, Prime Video, and Apple TV. So For purchase? For purchase. Okay. It's like, you can watch it, but it's going to cost you. And by the way... Five seasons. So those were the castmates on season one. I say this because, well, we'll go over in a second, but right now let's go over some of the episodes because this was basically your slice of life created by Dan T. Bradley and Alan Rice, developed by Stanley Ralph Ross, who you might remember as a chief developer of 
the original Wonder Woman series. The company that produced season one of That's My Mama was Blyde Beard Productions. Chris Beard, you may remember his association with The Gong Show, among other things. But also, and I think Greg may walk off the show for this, Blyde Beard in 1974, they didn't just have That's My Mama. They had another show. Greg, you're not going to believe what it is. What is it? The Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show. I'm out of here. Good night. <laughs> I don't care. That show broke me so much inside. <laughs> That's like, oh. I you don't know how long I spent trying to forget that show. And here this fool gonna bring it back up again. Okay, can I share a behind the scenes thing with you guys? Go ahead. I I made it public in the solo, it was a thing on TV presents, but we recorded that show like two days after the war in Ukraine started. So I was like depressed. So if you hear the three shows we did that week, the Power Rangers, Dino Thunder episode, Cap and Tim, and Hudson Brothers, like, I'm barely talking because I'm, like, so depressed over what's going on in the news. And I thought, oh, man, this is really, this is really going to make my mood so much better. Having to hear the Hudson Brothers razzle-dazzle show. Okay, so we're going to go over the first episodes now, the first season, at least. Again, there's a reason why I'm referring it to the first season. First episode, whose child is this? Clifton's past catches up with him when a woman from his past shows up at the barbershop with a baby claiming it's his. Susan. Uh-oh. Thank you. When he refuses to marry her, she gets an attorney. Mama feels something's fishy. Now, just so you know, we had a couple of recasts before this episode went on the air because the pilot featured Ed Bernard as Earl Chambers. Ed Bernard of Homeward Bound as the desk sergeant. He was the principal in White Shadow and he was on Police Woman. And we also had as Judy Wilson, Judy Pace who was in, among other things, Cotton Comes to Harlem in 1970, The Thomas Crown Affair from 1968, and all 25, well, 25 episodes, not all of them, but 25 episodes of The Young Lawyers from 1969 to 1971. We did talk about her before because she played Vicky Green on an episode of Beyond Westworld. I think another role we need to add for her, since this is one of my absolute favorite movies ever, she played Gail Sayers' wife in Brian's song. Oh, that was a uh, good one. Oh, man. The original Brian song. I, I'm not a big fan of the remake they did about 20 years ago, but the original, oh, yeah. if you don't cry in that last scene in the last like five minutes of the movie, you have no feelings. Very emotional. James Conn and Billy D. Can't go wrong with that. Nope. Just an overall great movie. Episode 2, Honesty Day. Clifton calls for an honesty day during which no one in the family can tell a lie for 24 hours. 
In the beginning, it's refreshing, but things get ugly when the honesty gets brutal. We have a known name in this episode, playing Leonard in this episode, Leonard Taylor, Ilunga Adele, known primarily as a writer and producer for Sanford and Son, City Guys from 1997, and Nickelodeon gem, My Brother and Me. Oh, My Brother and Me is a great show. It was all about goo. Episode 3, Clifton's Dubious Romance. Finally, Mom is matchmaking ways to hook up Clifton work. She sets him up with a very beautiful girl named Polly. All is good until Earl confesses to Tracy that he knows Polly from back in the day, and she had a rep as a man-eater. Oh, here she comes! Playing the role of Polly, Berlinda Tolbert. I think y'all know where Berlinda Tolbert, you know her from. She was on the Jeffersons, guys. Yes. She played Jenny. Jenny Wills. And according to IMDb, this is her first credit. Really? Yes. Episode four. Cousin Albert. Mama wishes Clifton was more of a success like his cousin Albert who appears to be dealing a well-to-do insurance franchise, but Junior finds out that insurance is not what Cousin Albert is dealing. Cousin Albert, by the way, played by Bill Elliott, known for being Mr. Dion Warwick, but also known as Otis on Bridget Loves Bernie, all 24 episodes of that. Hey, Bridget loves Bernie. We're going to cover that eventually. Eventually, yeah. That was my backup choice for my Money in the Bank, actually. It was between Bridget loves Bernie and, oh, what's happening in a couple of weeks? <laughs> Somebody's getting older. <laughs> and Madam's Place. So I chose Madam's Place over Bridget loves Bernie. So that will be coming eventually, definitely within the next year plus we, a couple of weeks. We could have been talking I, I about play- Bridget loves Bernie. Oh, oh, I have stuff to say. There, there's a lot to say about that. Hey, I have another two months. Maybe I'll pick Bridget Loves Birdie as my money in the bank. Maybe I'll pick it. Who knows? We also have another person of note in this episode playing Officer O'Reilly. Oh, Gordon Jump. Stay the hell away from that bike shop, Arnold. Stay the hell away from it. Aren't we about seven years away from the bike shop? The bike shop episode of Different Strokes is on Tubi. Because Tubi has the entire run of Different Strokes. Episode 5. Clifton's Sugar Mama. A rich old friend of Mama's comes to town. Clifton used to call her Auntie Melvina when he was three years old. But Clifton is a grown man now, and Auntie Melvina is a sexy cougar looking to have some fun with him while in town. Playing Auntie Melvina, Kim Hamilton, known for being in Guiding Light and two episodes of Ben Casey, but also being married to Werner Klemperer? What? What? She was married to Mer- she was previously married to Werner Klemperer. 
That's wow. amazing. Amazing. But, Greg, Greg, she played Songi on a 1990 episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, that's terrific. Who knew that about Colonel Clink? That's amazing. I know. The things you learn listening to this podcast. Episode six. Clifton's big move. Freddie Hampton, an old army buddy of Clifton, shows up in town wanting Clifton to be his new roommate. Clifton jumps at the chance despite Mama's objection. The swinging life is not all he thought it would be and wants to move back home. Okay, so playing Freddie Hampton is Ray Biddy, who was in 9 to 5 in 1980. He was in 1976's Car Wash. He was in all nine episodes of future entry The Quest. He played Dr. Baker on one episode of The Powers of Matthew Starr. Oh, by the way, this is CNN Breaking News. Mike, do you want to share the card I got that I showed you before the show that I got this week? Yeah, now that came from Celebrity Cuts, right? That was an Americana. Yeah. It was like the Americana, like, I don't want to say supersized version, but the more expensive cousin of, of Americana. Yeah. And it, it was a dual swatch card of Lou Gossett Jr. numbered out of 50. And Greg said he only paid like four bucks for it, which is absolutely amazing. Episode seven, Mama Steps Out. Clifton finds out the real reason Mama is acting all secretive. Secretive. She's secreting? Oh no! Somebody get a mop! <laughs> I swear to God, I'm sober. Okay. Hold on. You're sober, but again, this is why we need to take a stab at this. Wait, wait, what? Take a stab at this. Take a snap at it. And type Greg does his best impression of Macaulay Culkin during this. I took a screen grab of it. Oh my god. Welcome to it was a thing on TV out of context. Oh my god. We've already done that. We've already done that with like what did I put? The still from Spider-Man 2 and the uh Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgaard Sarsgaard. The Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgaard. Okay. I okay. hope those doctors, they all get swords. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Episode 7. Mama steps out. Clifton finds out the real reason Mama is acting all secretive and staying out late at night. She has a boyfriend. But Ooh. Clifton is... Yeah, but Clifton discovers that Mama's beau doesn't want a wife. He wants a maid for his six kids. The man in question, Will Harrington, played by Charles Lampkin, played Pops in Cocoon, and Tiger in all 22 episodes of Frank's Place. Yes, that is a future entry. Oh, we gotta talk about Frank's place sometime, probably next year for Black History Month. Yeah. Episode eight. 
the loan. When Clifton tries to collect a $50 debt from his brother-in-law, Leonard, everything becomes chaotic because Leonard does not have any recollection of the loan. Typical conservative. Typical. Mama tries to believe in them both and help, but it makes matters worse. No one of note on this episode, so I'm guessing this is going to be a bottle episode. Okay, before we move on, I should know. Chuck the Condor is mopping the floors at the Celebrity All-Star game. How's the vote for Guillermo? Are we working on the vote for Guillermo? Come on! We should be working on this. Oh, and I got some sad news. Guillermo just got blocked by Carlos Boozer. Boo. You're really disappointing us, Guillermo. No, wait a second. I'm trying to love you! Wait, 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 wait. Guillermo just got blocked. He's what, like five foot four? Yes! And he got blocked by a six foot ten guy? Bully. Oh my gosh. Just gonna say it right now. I, I hope bully. this reruns overnight on ESPN. I've gotta record this. Episode nine Clifton's Con. An army friend from the past, Floyd, shows up at the barbershop to collect the debt. Turns out he helped Clifton back in the day and now needs the favor returned. He needs a job. All's good until it's discovered Floyd was an ex-con. Playing Floyd is Rod Gist, who was on, among other things, 14 episodes of Hooperman as Rudy. Definite future cover. Definite future cover. And five episodes of something called Roll Out, where he played someone called Phone Booth. <laughs> Phone Booth, okay. But if I'm not mistaken, he also played a manager in Richard Pryor's JoJo Dancer, Your Life is Calling. Oh, wait a second. I'm taking a look at what Roll Out is. Uh-huh. Oh, this must be one of the earliest appearances of one of our favorites on this podcast. But this is like the first regular series for Ed Begley Jr. Oh! All right, that's going on the list. Show Hall of Famer! Episode 10, Clifton's Persuasion. Clifton's faith is in doubt, and he gives up on church. Is it a run of bad luck or mama's browbeating? That will finally make a believer out of him. Playing the role of Reverend Armbruster. That is his Christian name. I checked. Tim Reed. Yes. That Tim Reed. WKRP Tim Reed. Sister Sister Tim Reed. Snoops Tim Reed. Oh, you mean the Tim Reed that introduced that CBS Playhouse thing from 1987 with Daphne Maxwell Reed? You mean infiltrated with Scott Bakula? Yes! And Kung Fu The Next Generation. That's right. Kung Fu The Next Generation was introduced by them, too. Episode 11. Oscar's Affair. Mama wants to know why Clifton is acting strange since one of Mama's rivals has been back in town. Turns out that this rival confessed to Clifton that she had an affair with his father after he was married to Mama. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Lady's name is Ruby Lester, and she is played by Dorothy Meyer. 
and Dorothy Meyer was known for playing mostly wisecracking maids, neighbors, friends, nurses, and church ladies. She played a nurse in Cobra and a cook and a witness on two episodes of Hill Street Blues. But she was in 10 episodes of something called King's Crossing. Try to see what exactly that was. Okay, so recovering alcoholic moves his wife and daughters to King's Crossing, resuming his job as college professor and reconciling with the wealthy aunt. Episode 12, Tracy's Trouble. Tracy has a fight with Leonard and moves back to her mother's house. She refuses to say what the fight was about, but that doesn't stop Mama and Cliff from trying to fix the problem. Episode 13, The Gun. Earl is beaten during a burglary, which leads to him wanting to purchase a firearm. Clifton agrees and obtains one for him, but Earl insists Clifton keeps it. Mama disagrees strenuously. Freddie Hampton is back, which means, of course, Ray Vitti is back. And playing the burglar is Cal Gibson, who actually played an IBC guard in Scrooged. And he was a gardener in one episode of Quantum Leap, Greg. Oh, what episode? Season two. So help me God, July 29th, 1957. Okay. Episode 14. Song and Dance Man. Clifton is in for the surprise of his life when he starts to date a vaudeville performer of a family friend. Oh, I bet you I know who played the vaudeville performer. I bet you I know who played the family friend. The vaudeville performer, Lady Carter, played by Slappy White, whose name is definitely reads like a vaudeville performer. Oh, and we're going to talk about Slappy White in the next episode. Playing the woman he's dating, Lola, Roseanne Caton, known as a bridal shower hooker in Bachelor Party. Oh, Bachelor <laughs> I'm Party. I'm sorry. That's the not just bachelor party. The what hooker? The bridal shower hooker. The bridal, bridal shower hooker. Oh my gosh. Okay then. Those are three words I never thought I'd hear together in the same sentence. Bridal shower hooker. Yeah. Episode 15, the Christmas episode. Mama gets fractured. Mama breaks her leg, so Clifton gets one of the sisters from the church to move in to take over the household duties. The sister doesn't want to do things the way Mama wants, instead wants to do things her way. Mama doesn't back down, and the sister tells Mama that as long as she's staying in the house, things are going to be done her way. And we have, as the sister, Ruby Lester, played by Dorothy Meyer. We already talked about her. Episode 16, The Last Haircut. This would be the first episode of 1975. Cliff's license renewal is due, and Mom is determined that everything is cleaned and perfect. Cliff is unconcerned until an elderly customer dies during a haircut. Earl helps to hide the body during the inspection. Oh, oh, oh God. Wait, what? An elderly customer dies in the middle of his haircut. And hilarity ensues. And they're trying to hide the body 
From Gordon Jump as Officer O'Reilly. Episode 17, The Shakedown. Earl gets Clifton to co-sign for a loan to get his car fixed. The loan company has some shady lending practices. This is CNN Breaking News. Guillermo just hit a shot! Yay! He didn't know he didn't hit a shot. He didn't hit the shot. This is a hilarious point. He threw the shot up and it got stuck on the rim. Over a minute to go. The Miz with a great catch on that pass. Guillermo. That is the most Guillermo thing you will see tonight. (laughs) Watch his reaction. Guillermo just won the game. Wait, Guillermo did that? Guillermo, Guillermo did, did that. So, playing Pig Iron Brooks, who apparently works for that bank, George Reynolds. He was in, among other things, Starsky and Hutch, Good Times, and he played Branford in Smokey and the Bandit. Episode 18. The ambulance chaser. Clifton walks across the street to the cleaners and gets hit by a taxi. Earl insists on getting a lawyer involved. Playing said lawyer, A.C. Barr, Richard Stahl. Richard Stahl was known as Fred Dietz and a bellman in three episodes of Empty Nest. We did talk about him previously because he played a rabbi on two episodes of Love, Sydney. And, oh, oh Lord, Greg, what? I'm sorry if the whole Hudson Brothers Rehazel Dazzle show thing didn't cause you to walk off this podcast. I got one for you because just taking a look, I knew why Richard Stahl's name sounded familiar. Uh, it looks like his only uh TV series where he was a regular in, in terms of being on most, if not all, the episodes, Greg. I'll give you like a 10 second head start to walk out. He played Jack Overmeyer on Turnabout. I'm sorry, Greg. I know how much you just love Turnabout and their Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. Oh, shuck. Oh, shuck. Story point regulations. That's outrageous. (laughs) Happy birthday, John Shuck. Episode 19 Earl's Girl. Earl thinks he found his match in a beautiful woman. Unfortunately, Clifton finds out that the woman doesn't share the same feelings for him. Playing the woman, Joanne Roberts. Chelsea Brown! Known as the first African-American female on the Castle Laugh-In. Oh, yeah! And then she went on to other stuff. She was in 89 episodes of E Street, but she's since moved on from acting, and actually, she is no longer with us. She died in 2017. Episode 20, The Witness. When the neighborhood deli is robbed by Croker, the only person who can ID him is Earl, but he's afraid of retribution if he goes to the police but can't handle the guilt of being afraid. Croker, played by Lee Kalima was known for Get Smart, The Monkees, and something called Dimension 5. Look at 
the character he played on Get Smart. Bobo. Bobo. He played Bobo on Get Smart. And that makes me want to remind people, we're doing Mr. Smith Revisited later this year. That's right. Yeah, because someone finally uploaded some of the episodes to YouTube. And best of all, one of the episodes this gentleman uploaded was Mr. Smith Rescues Bobo. Man, I can see why that series lasted 13 episodes. That was yeah. that was a slog. And also playing a police captain, Sidney Clute, who, by the way, portrayed officers of the law in Kojak, Battlestar Galactica, and McLeod. He was in Cagney and Lacey, though, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He played Detective Paul LaGuardia in all 124 episodes. That's right. So it's time once again to play Is This Typecasting? Yes. This has been Is This Typecasting? Episode 21. Clifton and the Kid. Clifton is dating a woman with a young son who becomes very attached to Clifton. The lady he's dating, Jill, played by Lillian Lehman, who is known for being that woman in that thing, but she had a regular role as Sharon Thoreau in six episodes of Men of a Certain Age with Scott Bakula and Ray Romano. Second mention of Scott Bakula this episode. Another Lillian Lehman role uh-huh. that really wasn't seen for like 13 years after it was recorded. And you'll understand why when I say the show and when I say the episode. It was Married with Children, and it was the episode that was banned. I'll See You in Court, which didn't air until 2002 on like FX. Oh, the Lost episode. The Lost episode. She was the judge in the case when the Rhodeses sued a motel because the motel recorded them doing the nasty without their knowledge. Again, it it was a lost episode, didn't air for like 13, 14 years. It was even too controversial for Fox, but it aired in 2002, and it is now a regular episode in the rotation when you watch reruns on Logo or wherever else you uh, may find Married with Children. And it's also on the DVD sets. And it's on Peacock, too. And playing the kid, Tierre Turner who is actually a stuntman now. Episode 22, The Hero. Hank, Clifton's cousin, returns to Washington, D.C. to attend his dad's funeral. He has to run out of town years before because he testified against a guy named Doc. Doc gets the word that Hank's back in town. He comes to Clifton's barbershop saying that he's out for revenge. He also hints that anyone found protecting Hank is going to be in trouble, too. Clifton gets the idea to pretend that Hank is dead, setting up a fake funeral with the help of Earl and Leonard. Doc shows up to make sure Hank is really gone. The game's nearly blown when Junior, pretending to be a preacher, refers to the deceased as a fine woman. After the funeral, Doc is so impressed by Junior's preaching that he forces him to come with him to the river. Doc wants Junior to say a few words over some former business associates of Doc. 
Hank is able to attend his father's funeral in peace and leave town in safety. Later, Junior shows up to the barbershop to explain how the memorial service Doc wanted him to preside over went. Junior flashes all the money Doc paid him. Couple of names on this episode. Uh-huh. So we have playing Hank is Hilly Hicks from The Amazing Spider-Man and Raise the Titanic. He played Robbie Robertson on The Amazing Spider-Man, Greg. The series, right? Yes, the series. And he was the voice of Brock on the uh, 1978 Godzilla cartoon. Cool. But playing Doc, TC himself, Roger E. Mosley. Oh! Those weren't even the two names I was talking about. Well, Roger E. Mosley was one of them. Playing girl number three, not even given a name. Girl number three, Jane Kennedy. NFL Today, Jane Kennedy? Ah, there you go. But also, hey, you know what? (laughs) Might as well tie it into this because Roger E. Mosley and Jane Kennedy were both on separate weeks of the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Yeah, they were. And Roger E. Mosley was on the last week, which is the week where Gene hit on Morgan Fairchild. You're gorgeous. You're darn right she is. Episode 23, The Image Maker. Clifton has the opportunity to audition for a television show about the up-and-coming black middle class, which, hello, we're watching it right now. Thank you very much. The rest of the neighborhood decides they want in on the action. Playing the director, Roland Ellis, Dennis Robertson, known as Private Baker on seven episodes of Combat, back in the day, 1962, and all 12 episodes of Tammy from 1965. Tammy Tarleton, an 18-year-old country girl, played by Debbie Watson for 26 episodes. So of those 26 episodes, Dennis Robertson was on 12 of them. Episode 24, Trial and Error. Leonard wins big at the neighborhood poker game, but gets arrested on his way home while visiting a house of ill repute. A house of ill repute. One of the employees of said house, Foxy Flow, is played by Suzanne Zetter. She was in 10 years as Margot Anderman on Days of Our Lives. That's her longest running credit. Episode 25. Clifton and politics. Clifton hosts a fundraiser for our friend running for city council. Playing that friend, Fleming, Stack Pierce. Known as an airman in war games and a visitor captain in the original V miniseries. And the final episode of the first season, Stephanie's Boyfriend. Stephanie, an old girlfriend of Clifton's, returns to town, but her current boyfriend refuses to let Clifton be. Playing Stephanie is Emily Yancey, lady by the name of Emily Yancey, who was Dr. Thatcher in nine months from 1995, and also Gala in all seven episodes of the miniseries Sharp Objects from 2018. Playing her new boyfriend, 
Neville Ewing the third, Ronald Warden. Yeah, he hasn't done much before, and he hasn't done much since. No, he really hasn't done anything since. This is his last credit on IMDb. Yeah. But that is the first season. And in that first season, it was playing on Wednesdays at 8, leading off ABC's nighttime lineup, which included a movie of the week and Get Christy Love, which we may or may not cover as a future entry. Well, we referred to it last week because we were talking about Honey West. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did refer to it. Honey West was basically Get Christy Love with a White Chip. And like, what, 15 years earlier, 10 years earlier? Yeah. But against Little House on the Prairie on NBC, you would think that the show was dead in the water, would you? But ABC decides, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give this show another chance. We're going to give it another chance. We're going to give it another season. But here's the thing. We're going to have to go through a whole retooling of the premise. And we're going to talk about the results of said retooling right after these era-appropriate messages. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, This is Don Rickles. Give me the president of Right God. Hello. You the underarm biggie? Listen. Quit making your Right God antiperspirant with this super dry anti-stain formula. Why? Listen, you hockey puck. I'm an entertainer. I get laughs with my insults. But how can I get people hot and bothered when they've got your right guard keeping them cool? Right guard helps keep them dry. You keep selling right guard, and you can pay for my mother's apartment in Miami Beach. The new ABC Saturday Night Movie. This Saturday, Frank Sinatra as the detective. Index and thumb of right hand missing. Left side of skull crushed. You're not going to tell my parents, are you? Did you know him? They're going to bust me. They do not like living in garbage cans. If you have me busted, you'll have to bust half the people in the department for being on the take. You crushed his skull, didn't you? You're the only one ever made me feel like a woman. The Detective, Saturday, 9 p.m., 8 Central. Tuesday Movie of the Week continues following station identification. Hot L Baltimore, a new comedy sensation, premieres Friday at 9. One tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense as the world's tallest building becomes the towering inferno. Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, William Holden, Faye Dunaway, Fred Astaire, Susan Blakely, Richard Chamberlain, Jennifer Jones, O.J. Simpson, Robert Vaughn, and Robert Wagner. Irwin Allen's production of The Towering Inferno. Rated PG. Now Avco Cinema's Egyptian Vermont Drive-In and Orange County Theaters. Oh, my God.
I hope you enjoyed those commercials from 1974 and 1975. So, where we last left off, we had That's My Mama not really doing well in the ratings, but doing just well enough to earn a second season. However, in the second season, we're going to go through an entire rebranding, a whole overhaul of the concept. Lyle and Beard are gone. Alan Bly and Chris Beard are gone, as are Jester Hairston, DeForest Coven, and Lynn Moody as Tracy. Instead, playing the role of Tracy will be Joan Pringle, who was also in the White Shadow as Vice Principal Sybil Buchanan. And Lyle Wilson would be bumped up to series regular as opposed to being a recurring character. And recurring as Laura in season two, Helen Martin. You remember her from 227 as the fuss budget grandma who's always at the window. Pearl on 227. Oh, yeah. And additionally, she's going to be on a show that we're going to cover next February. Not going to say what it is just yet. And also gone were Bob Lahendro as director and Stan Lathan as director in favor of the likes of Stuart Margolin, Noam Pitlick, and Burt Brinkerhall. So basically... Television legends replacing lesser television legends. They also got a new set of writers, a new set of producers in David Pollock and Elias Davis, and new opening titles. Let's listen to them right here, Chico. Photographs and memories, love and devotion in time of need. When it seems all hope is gone, oh, yeah. I've got my mama to depend upon. That's my mama. That's my mama. She's the force that gives me strength. Yeah. Super lady, heaven sent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my mama. That's my mama. I'm the Some amazing thing just happened in the Celebrity All-Star Game. Albert Guillermo Pujols, made a shot. Uh, no, Guillermo did not make a shot. But Albert Pujols dunked. Nice. Really? Wow. Yes. yes. Who would have thought Albert Pujols would dunk? But he has got hops. Yeah. He does. Now I really hope this gets a rerun. Wait, hold on, on a second. Guillermo's got a pizza now. Now I really oh, hope pizza? this is rerun. Guillermo just gave Shaq a pizza. And Shaq's like, no, I don't want the pizza. It's not Papa John's. It's not no. Papa John's. 
Nope. You should ask Ben if he wants that. Ben Affleck, if he wants any of that pizza. By the way, the theme song for season two of That's My Mama, written and performed by Lamont Dozier, one-third of the legendary songwriting trio of Holland, Dozier, Holland. Y'all can't tell me you don't know who Holland, Dozier, Holland are. So let's go over the episodes of season two, see what new shenanigans uh, Clifton and Mama can come up with. Episode 1, The Birthday Party. Leonard's birthday gift to his mother-in-law, Mama, of a burial plot brings her celebration to a halt. Clifton is particularly upset with his brother-in-law's gesture because he must think of a future without his parents. Okay, so I guess this is going to set the tone for the rest of the season. It looks like we're going very, very hard on most of the stories. God is the happy-go-lucky uh, adventures of the first season. Now we're getting into serious brass tacks. Episode 2. Business is business. Clifton is offered a partnership and a business deal to create a chain of high-end barber shops. Playing the man who offers the business deal, LaForge, Mel Stewart. Mel Stewart, of course, known primarily for playing Marvin Decker in all 12 episodes of future entry Tabitha and playing Billy Melrose in all 88 episodes of Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Another place that we saw Mel Stewart, literally this is the second time we've talked about this show on this episode, and we've never talked about it before, as far as I know. He was on 12 episodes of Rollout. He didn't play Phone Booth. He played Sergeant B.J. Bryant. Episode 3, Mama's Solution. Leonard, known for being high-strung, is persuaded into hiring Mama at his accounting firm. This is the first instance, first of many, of Helen Martin as Laura. Episode 4. That's Earl, brother. Clifton leaves Earl in charge of the barbershop, hoping he doesn't regret it. Earl is soon enticed by an attractive young woman who sees an opportunity to rob the establishment. And, oh gosh, we talked about this woman before. Playing Thelma, the lady-in-waiting for Earl, Verdi Watson. We talked about her in Carter Country, but hey... You know who you remember her as? Will Smith's mama on the Fresh Prince. Oh, she was the one who told him, you're going with your auntie and uncle to Bel Air. Yep. And we'd know her as being Gloria on the current series, Bob Hart's Abishola. Oh, that's right. That's right. Bob Hart's Abishola doesn't get enough love, I don't think. I don't think, you know what, I, I love that show. I really do. Episode 5, A Date with Judy. Clifton is talked into going on a date with Judy, who turns out to be an average-looking girl. Cliff has a good time and wants to continue seeing her, but worries what his friends will think because she's not a stunning beauty. Playing the role of Judy, 
Tamu Blackwell. She was actually an assistant director on Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and Dr. Doolittle. And one episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Second week in a row with a mention of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Episode six. Earl's dad and Mama's glad. Cliff and Earl think it's a good idea if Earl's father, Sammy, meets Cliff's mama. They're thinking romance, but Sammy has his eyes on Mama's bank account for one of his business ventures. And playing Sammy Chambers, Lee Weaver was Joe in the 40-year-old version and the blind seer in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But aside from that, he was a that guy from that thing. Hold on. No, I'm going to override you. Because Lee Weaver, he voiced the Crimson Guard on the G.I. Joe animated series. And, oh, wait, you're right. He also voiced Alpine in the miniseries that would kick off season two, Arise, Serpentor, Arise. Episode seven, Weekend Daddy. Leonard decides to become a weekend father which is an organization similar to Big Brothers and Big Sisters, getting a young boy named Andy. Andy latches on to Earl, despite Leonard's attempts to bond with the boy. After a further attempt to bond with Andy, Leonard loses him at a ball game after giving him money to get snacks. Andy apparently has run away, and despite reassurances from Mama, Leonard is worried that only the worst could have happened. Soon... Andy shows up at the Curtis house and reveals that his running away was to testify that if Leonard really didn't like him and wanted to be his weekend daddy. Leonard, in a turn of events, stands up to Andy and shows him what a real father should do. Punish him, but sternly and fairly, and tell Andy he still loves him. After Leonard, Tracy, and Andy make up and go home, Earl drops by and Mama discovers that he is the one who convinced Andy to try and come back but he realized Andy needed a father and not just a friend. Playing Andy, the late, great Christoph St. John. In his first television role. Correct. Because he would have been like eight years old at this point. Oh, but yes. And of course, Christoph St. John was a semi-regular on Match Game 98. Second week in a row with a reference to Match Game 98. We're just rolling all the hits. This is CNN Breaking News. Oh my god, Miss just hit a Miss just hit a half-court shot! What? With the buzzer! On the buzzer! At the bu- I don't Are what? you kidding me? Was that to end the game? Because game to end ended. the game, yes! Oh wow. They have to count this. Please tell me they count this. Please tell me they count this. Episode 8. Clifton and La Femme. Clifton finds himself in the middle of a romantic triangle when Junior's girlfriend appears to be interested in him. Okay, they did not count it. It did not leave his hand. Damn. Oh. Playing the lady in the middle... Sylvia Mackey, and I'm not lying, this is her only credit. 
Episode nine, Mama's Big Move. Mama decides to move out to give Clifton privacy. Episode 10, Queen of the Ribs. Earl pretends to be the owner of the barbershop in order to impress his new girlfriend. And once Earl starts lying, will he be able to hear the truth that she doesn't care? Playing Winona, the lady Earl's trying to uh, impress, Tracy Reed, who played Marianne in Running Scared, and Mrs. Carol Broadhurst in five episodes of McLeod. And 25 episodes of our favorite, well, the original, Love American Style. Not the new Love American Style, the original. But we all know the new Love American Style is superior. We all know this. Yeah. She was also in 12 episodes of a TV version of Barefoot in the Park, which I didn't even know was a thing. Chico, don't go. Hmm. For the new Love American style. The new Love American style is where it's at. Because the old Love American style, that's old hat. Nobody cares about the old Love American style anymore. It's all about the new Love American style. So don't just dismiss the new Love American style. I'm not dismissing anything. Good. All right. This episode was directed by Mort Lockman. You certainly have heard of him. Because yes. he produced TV shows such as All in the Family and Give Me a Break and Kate and Alley. Plus also uh, his son, Brad Lockman. He's like the king of like reality television. He did like the most uh, extreme moments or whatever Fox did with uh, with, with Mark Thompson as the uh, voiceover guy. What didn't Fox do with Mark Thompson as the voiceover guy? Okay, that's a valid point. But yeah, if you ever watch like Most Outrageous Moments or... Uh, one of those types of TV shows. Odds are that Brad Lockman was behind it. And I think he did like the most outrageous game show moments, the game show moments specials that NBC aired like 20 years ago. Pretty sure he was behind that. And if you've been paying attention, we're going to talk about a Brad Lockman production next week. Episode 11, A Man from the Past. An old family friend and one-time flame of mama's Breezes into town, a changed man. He's a minister. Putting two to two together, Clifton begins to wonder if he doesn't have more in common with this man than he should. Playing said person, Jake, Bernie Hamilton, Captain Harold Doby from Starsky and Hutch, y'all. Which, by the way, this is CNN Breaking News. How many times are we going to have breaking news in this episode? Gee whiz. Okay, Chico, what'd you have to say? Fox is commissioning a remake of Starsky and Hutch. A gender-flipped remake of Starsky and Hutch. In modern times? Yep. I'm curious as to how this is going to turn out. Okay. Who are they going to get to play Huggy Bear? Well, Antonio uh, Fargus played Huggy Bear in the original series. How about you go for his son, former NFL running back Justin Fargus? Oh, that'd be terrific. Well, I know you said the whole gender swap thing, but it's an idea. It, it is an idea. Huggy Bear runs in his jeans. Yes, they do. 
Episode 12, Get Your Kicks on Routes 22 and 76. On their way to an out-of-town wedding, Clifton, Mama, and the gang get sidetracked by a snowstorm and bad directions. Can they get to the wedding on time? But more importantly, can they get through the night without killing each other? Bottle episode has to be. Is it a bottle episode? Maybe, maybe not. I'm leaning towards maybe based on what you said. And the motel manager is played by Richard Forungi. Two reasons I mentioned him. One, we did talk about him previously, or at least we talked about a series he was on previously. He was on an episode of Get a Life. He was on the counterfeit watch story. The other reason, I know Greg loves every mention of this show. He was on an episode of 18 Wheels of Justice. Oh, 18 Wheels of Justice. Yes. But hey, let's get to the last episode. Last episode. This is Clifton's casual playing. Clifton thinks his new girlfriend, Sharon, is the one. And he's finally ready to settle down. Now all Sharon has to do is tell him she just wants to date. Playing Sharon D. Timberlake, who was in two episodes of The Bionic Woman as Karen Stone. Three episodes as Maggie on The Cloud. And she voiced several characters on all 13 episodes of Space Sentinels. Oh, she also did a voice on Plastic Man. Does nobody remember Plastic Man? I remember Plastic Man. Yeah. That's got to be on the list. We got to cover that one day. She, too, was on an episode of The White Shadow. And that's the show. During season two, they kept it on Wednesday nights. But instead of having it lead off the night, they put it on after another new show that season. One we already covered. Don't say when things were rotten. Don't say when things were rotten. Don't say when things were rotten. Okay. What was it? When things were rotten. Dang it! You told me not to say it, sweetie. I know, but it's like, that's such a brilliant show, and when you said you was on after a new show on ABC, it's like, no. No. Two good shows that just, like, got hammered and got canceled, like, really quickly. No. Because they were on opposite Little House on the Prairie. And that was again? literally... Wait, wait, again? again? Again. NBC plays dirty. Dang. <laughs> Especially when you consider what else was on that night. Doctor's Hospital and Petrocelli. Nobody watched those two shows. And what was on ABC for the rest of the night? Beretta and Starsky and Hutch. What did Clifton Davis ever do to NBC to get them so mad? I couldn't tell you, but I guess they were willing to let bygones be bygones because he appeared with Jester Hairston in Amen in the 80s. But yeah, I mean, that's my mama. Really sentimental show in the uh, African-American diaspora in the 1970s to the point. Did you know this? In 1986, they produced uh, Columbia Pictures Television, which produced the original show. 
They produced a syndicated revival, a la What's Happening Now, called That's My Mama Now. They did bring back Ted Lange, and they did bring back Teresa Merritt, but they added on Daphne Maxwell-Reed, Anne-Marie Johnson, Tony Carruthers, Lyle Wilson, and podcast favorite, TV's Tim Stack. This might be one for Pilot Month somewhere down the line, if I can find the copy, but they did not pick it up. But don't cry for anybody involved with this show. Clifton Davis and Chester Harrison went on to Amen, Ted Lange went on to the love boat, and Teresa Merritt had a fruitful career until her death in 1998. But, like we said before, if you want to watch all 39 episodes, they are available on DVD, or if you can't be bothered with things like spending money or the security of hard media, you can watch all 39 episodes right now for free on Crackle. No, gonna make a correction there. I already checked Crackle. Uh huh. There's only 36 episodes there. They don't have three of the first season episodes there. Entire second season's there, but not, but only 23 episodes from the first season. So, gentlemen, thoughts? I really like this show. I'm not gonna lie. I did watch it back on TV One in the day, like I mentioned at the start of the show. I think, like you said, wherever it went, Little House on the Prairie was on against it, and it just didn't stand a chance against Little House on the Prairie. But I thoroughly enjoyed this show. Yeah. I mean, it was a really good show. You could tell there was a whole lot of chemistry with all of the castmates, and the stories that the show did, they related to the target audience. This was a show catered to its audience unfortunately it didn't do well enough at least in abc's eyes to warn anything other than the 39 episodes that aired but yeah that's my mama would earn a place in television history or at least in endless pop culture references about it but in 1974 1975 that's my mama opposite Little House was just a thing on TV. Wow! Well, that's my mama. (laughs) Episode 352, submission number 834, The Royal Family. The Royal Family aired on CBS from September 18th, 1991 to May 13th, 1992, and then on decades on February 9th, 2019, for a total of 15 episodes.
Well, guys, normally on this show, when a TV show is canceled, it's because of ratings or production mishaps or just because they couldn't find an audience for it or because it just flat out sucks. This might be the first time in a while, if ever, where we have a show that is canceled because of tragedy. And it all starts with Harlem Nights from, I want to say 1987, 1988. I believe it was 89. I could double check real quick. Yeah, it was 1989. Yeah, it was 89. Eddie Murphy, who wrote and directed that movie, noticed the playful banter between stars Red Fox and Della Reese and decided what they need is a vehicle to showcase more of that playful banter. And so he created this show that was originally called Chest Pains. It was developed by somebody we talked about on this show before, Greg Antonacci. One of the uh, brothers on Making It from the 70s, David Naughton's brother. Remember, he went on to become a writer and producer. He wrote for this show. So Greg Antonacci and Eddie Murphy developed this show with this premise. An Atlanta mail carrier, Alexander Alfonso Al Royal, and his wife, Victoria, are getting ready to enjoy a peaceful retirement until their daughter, Elizabeth, comes home. Do you get the joke? It's because Red Fox's wife on Sanford and Son was called Elizabeth. Marital Problems is bringing Elizabeth to the royal house for an extended visit to the point where she has her three kids with her. Eldest daughter, Kim, middle son, Curtis, and nine-year-old daughter, Hillary. The rest of the season was going to play out as these three generations coming together as a family, trying to make it as best they can. Of course, Al Royal was played by the legendary Red Fox. Victoria Royal, his wife, was played by the also legendary Della Reese. Rounding out the family were a combination of established actors who were looking for their big primetime break and first-time kids. Playing the daughter, Elizabeth, would be Marianne Alda, who played Dee Dee Bannister on the ABC soap opera Edge of Night, one of the first African-Americans to play on that show. She played in 391 episodes. Of course, we talked about her. She was in one episode of The Last Precinct from 1986, a show whose lasting claim to fame was it squandered the post-Super Bowl plot. And by the way, since we did that episode, 
Jaguar Gator Nine on YouTube has done a video about the last precinct and how it lost the Super Bowl audience. Playing eldest daughter Kim is Silver Gregory, who would have been and would still be a that girl from that thing. She was on episodes of Where I Live, Sinbad, Family Matters, and Law and Order. Middle child Curtis was played by Lorenz Tate, who would be known for such landmark roles as O-Dog in the movie Menace to Society and Councilman Rashad Tate in Power. He was also part of the main cast of Love Monkey on CBS, South Central on Fox, and Game of Silence on NBC. So yes, Lorenz Tate was and still is busy. Playing the youngest daughter, Hillary, a then-unknown actress by the name of Naya Rivera. You remember Naya Rivera from a landmark role on Glee as Santana Lopez. Sadly, no longer with us. And those are the members of the royal family that started out the season. There's going to be more as the time goes by. So let's talk about the episodes. First, we had the pilot. Alfonso is getting ready for a nice, relaxing retirement when his daughter and grandchildren come to visit. He soon finds out that they are there for more than just a visit. Of course, the story, written by Eddie Murphy and the teleplay by Greg Antonacci. But aside from that, it's just pretty much establishing the premise. Episode 2, Homework Bound. Thanks to, or in spite of, Al's history tutelage at the bowling alley, Curtis scores an A on a test, but not without having something up his sleeve. Like, the answers, maybe? Chico? Mm-hmm? I have been a professional teacher for 17 years. Yes, you have. Kids never cheat. <laughs> and I said that with a straight face. Your, your, your face is still very much straight. I commend your honesty. Playing the teacher in this episode, Ignatius Faversham. Tom Wright. Known as the Chief of Police on Season 1 of Martial Law, a detective on Barbershop, and in four episodes as Morgan on Seinfeld. The episodes were from Season 6 and Season 7, Greg. The Pledge Drive, The Mom and Pop Store, The Diplomats Club, and The Wink. Oh, you know who's in the Pledge Drive episode of Seinfeld? Who is in the Pledge Drive episode of Seinfeld? Mike, you're going to love this name, okay? Okay. Danny Tortable. Ah, oh, that's great. Was he on the Yankees at this point? He, yes. He was, he was off the Royals? Okay. Wow, that's great. That would just make sense right there. That would just make sense. But yeah, like everybody on the cast of Martial Law, Tom Wright was trained in the deadly arts, let's just say. Well, everybody except for Arsenio Hall, he was just there to be funny. 
Episode three, me and my stuff. Curtis opts to secede from the manor when the royal king denies his request for his own room. Think about it. It's a teenage boy wanting his own room in an already crowded house. We have a recurring character introduced in this episode playing Buddy Jermaine Hopkins, a.k.a. Big Hug, a.k.a. Huggy. And you'd know him as Thomas Sams, big guy, in Lean on Me, Steel in Juice, Kilo in How to Be a Player, and Dupre in 10 episodes of The Wayans Brothers. He was that fat guy from that thing. Oh, and The Wayans Brothers, that's another underrated theme song. Oh, yeah. I uh, won't I sing it, but yes. yeah, it's... We, we can't sing it because it's an actual song. It's like ASCAP would be on our tails here. But also, it's so horrible, but it's so great. I was waiting for the follow-up on that. No, I no, guess. no, because the beginning for the song I meant. Ah, it is really good. It is really yeah. good. Episode four. Something you like to do, Greg. Talking baseball. Kim's baseball success against Curtis and a friend inspires her to try out for the varsity team, starting a squabble with Al about a woman's place in a man's game. Well, what day did this air, Chico? This aired on October 9th, 1991. Ah, that makes sense because the Major League Baseball playoffs would be starting. And of course, CBS had Major League Baseball at the time. So it would kind uh, of be timely and fitting right in with the network. But holy cow, something's about to go down here because we have a guy who's playing Satchel Page. Oh, who did they get to play Satchel Page? Playing Satchel Page. Ken Forey, and you probably remember him as Keenan's dad on Keenan and Kel. Oh, that's terrific. They got Keenan's dad from Keenan and Kel to play Satchel Page. Kind of looks like him, actually. But also, we'd be missed, Mike. He was on the 48 Cleveland team that won the World Series. Oh, absolutely, he was. Yes. We're not talking about Ken Forey. We're talking about Satchel Page, just in case you couldn't tell. And by the way, you can't see this, but I'm wearing an Oakland A's t-shirt. And I should be remiss if I mention that Satchel Page pitched for the Kansas City Athletics at the age of 59. And spoiler, Satchel Page was still damn good at 59. Yes, he was. Absolutely. Oh, on this episode... Playing David Lamone is Sean Harrison. He played Waldo Faldo on Family Matters. Oh, yes, Waldo Faldo. Everybody so, loved Waldo. But hold on a second. Have I mentioned the subplot episode in the Boom 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 episode of Family Matters? No, you haven't, but I want to hear this. I'm listening. Okay, the subplot in the Boom 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 episode of Family Matters is, okay, Waldo is baking a cake for his home ec class. So while he's 
going out on a date. With Maxine. With Maxine, yeah. Cherry Johnson. Yes, Sherry Johnson. I missed. I was trying to think. Wait. Oh, yeah, it was Sherry Johnson. Duh. Yeah. Eddie and uh, Steve come into the room while he's out on the date. He's like, oh, wow, there's this cake here. Oh, my God. Waldo baked a cake. Would he mind if we eat it? No, of course not. So they eat the entire cake, and they find out that Waldo baked a cake for his whole mech class, and they're like, oh, crap. So the whole episode is them trying to bake a cake to make sure Waldo doesn't know they eat the cake. They don't know how to bake? No. Steve and Eddie, they don't know how to make a cake. I mean, Steve Urkel knows a lot of things. Baking a cake is not one of them. No. Even though Steve Urkel can make a cloning machine and can invent a time machine, he does not know how to make a cake. Okay, that entire plot, I'm sorry. Married with Children did it years earlier and probably did it a little bit better. Because there is an episode where Kelly and Peg, Peg actually had to go back to school because she didn't graduate because she needed a credit of home ec. So her and Kelly were in the same class. And Kelly had to do like roast leg of lamb. And somehow Peg lucked out and had to do jello. Or maybe it was the other way around. I think it was Peg had to do the roast leg of lamb and Kelly had to do jello. Regardless, what happened is Al had a bout of hunger in the middle of the night one night. He goes downstairs, smells something really delicious. He sees this platter with this dome over it, pulls it up and sees it's roast leg of lamb. Oh my gosh, roast leg of lamb. I haven't eaten in you know years. You know, you've seen Mary and Sullivan eat. They make the jokes about he's never eaten. His eyes get really huge. And he ah, goes into the leg of lamb. And so the next morning, when they found out the leg of lamb has been eaten, but the jello hasn't, Peg uh, reverses the cards and gives Kelly the leg of lamb card. And she has the index card saying jello. So she opens, reveals it. Oh, good job. You get an A, uh, Peggy Bundy. And then Kelly. <laughs> opens up the dome and you see the bones of the leg of lamb just sitting there. (laughs) (laughs) And she wasn't able to graduate because that was the credit she needed to graduate. So she had to go to summer school. Oops. But I'm sure, like I said, they did a good job with that similar plot on Family Matters. But it almost sounds like I Love Lucy-ish. They don't know how to make a cake Hilarity ensues. Would have been funny, though, if Al Bundy walked in and ate the cake after they made it. <laughs> All right, continue. I'm sorry. I just wanted to yeah, That's fine. That's fine. Episode five, a Midsummer Night's Barbecue. The Royals have a neighborhood barbecue in their backyard, and Al is upset to find out that his old rival, Langston White, is coming to the barbecue. Langston White in this episode, played by Robert Hooks, known for Greg. He played Admiral Morrow on Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Yeah, because remember, we talked about him in the Facts of Life Season 1 because he was Tootie's dad. Yep. He was the one who told Captain Kirk, oh, I'm sorry, Admiral Kirk, as he was known then, no, don't go to the Genesis plant to rescue Spock, Jim. Don't go there. 
and he was like, going to. and he yeah, was I'm like, gonna go yeah. there. Yeah, he's gonna go there. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, he's gonna go there. Oh my god, James B. Seeking, come on and stop this. And no, because James B. Seeking couldn't stop it because Scotty messed up the warp drive on the Excelsior. Ah, <laughs> but yeah, he plays a rival of Red Fox on this episode. Also on this episode, playing Lee J, Christopher Carter, who is actually a prominent voiceover actor. He actually played roles on The Proud Family, Mighty Max, Swamp Thing. Okay, he played the role of Kid in the 1990 Kid in Play cartoon. There was a Kid in Play cartoon. I yes. remember the Kid in Play cartoon. Yes, there was. And we talked about him on this podcast because he also played the role of Trevor in the Rigmas episode of Good Morning, Miss Bliss. Okay. Playing Reverend Cook, Reynaldo Ray. He was on the Family Feud episode of 227. I was going to say he played the mailman on 227. It says he was on 18 episodes. Yeah, that's when they go on the Ray Combs version, right? Yep. He was also in Harlem Nights, by the way. Episode 6. What's love got to do with it? The budding relationship between Elizabeth and a doctor thrills Al, but Victoria has doubts. The doctor, Dr. Mark Thomas, he does look like a doctor, played by James A. Watson Jr., known as Dunn in Airplane 2, the sequel, but also played Deputy District Attorney Jim Barnes on 10 episodes of Quincy. And he also played a doctor on a show we talked about before, Sanford. So yes, he plays doctors and the occasional uh, space line pilot. Episode 7, Educating Al. The show starts with Al talking about cemetery plots. Elizabeth tries to find a preschool for Hillary. Should be noted that this was the final episode that Red Fox completed before his death. Playing a teacher, Mr. Spencer, Phil Lamar of Mad TV and Samurai Jack most notably. No, no, I'm going to override you on that. Mad on TV and part. Samurai Jack? No, I'm going to override you on Samurai Jack. I'm not going to override you on Mad TV. He voiced Hermes on Futurama. Yes! Hermes! Oh, oh, wait, oh, okay, alright, wait. Is that back on now? Is Futurama back on now? Because it keeps who, going on and off and on and off. Didn't who, It just got uh, announced, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, guys, I'm sorry. I'm officially taking Samurai Jack off that little list because I got one better than that. Not just was he Hermes on Futurama. Phil Lamar voices Ollie Williams on Family Guy. What? He's reading sideways. He gonna get it. He also voices a judge. And obviously, if you've seen Family Guy for almost 25 years now, Peter Griffin gets into various legal issues. It seems that Phil Lamar always plays the judge. If you remember the first episode, 
with the uh, setup uh, where the judge finds him guilty and all the Griffins go, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then Kool-Aid Man runs through the wall and says, oh yeah. He's the judge in that. And also a couple of other episodes where the judge role has been played. But yeah, Phil Amar, great voice talent. Funny guy. I loved him on Mad TV. These episodes aired on Wednesday nights on CBS opposite Unsolved Mysteries on NBC. Nope, that's all I had to say right there. And Dinosaurs on ABC. Oh, no, that's a double gut punch. But here's the thing. They didn't do terribly. I got a question. Did any of the episodes air against the episode of Dinosaurs? Where Robbie got jacked on steroids. No. No, that was like season three, wasn't it? So that'd be like 93. Yeah, that would be be way down the line, man. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. And also, Greg, it wasn't steroids. We can't say that. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. It's not steroids. You cannot say that Wednesday nights at 8 on ABC. No, it's Theranoids. It's yeah, Thornoids. It's Thornoids. 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 Whatever. Same thing. But yeah, the show itself did not do terribly. It was well written. It was well produced, and you could tell that there was a whole lot of chemistry between all of the castmates. However, something happened on October eleventh, nineteen ninety one, that would change everything for this show and we're going to talk about it right after these era appropriate commercials sparky's big game wisdom you need delivery in the clutch so call domino's pizza they've been coming through with clutch deliveries for over 30 years call now and get a domino's pizza delivered for the game nobody knows like domino's Payday. Jeopardy. Any questions? Weeknights at 7.30 on WTOC. Coming your way at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, the New Orleans Saints, off to one of their best starts ever, take on the Rams in Anaheim. Elsewhere, it's the Phoenix Cardinals challenging the Cowboys in Dallas. The action starts at 4 Eastern here on CBS. This is CBS. I'm Paula Zahn with an Olympic profile. Next, jumping after a role model. The talking about the You want to see forever. A strong competitor in the Nordic combined is Japan's Masashi Abe. Abe, like many Japanese youngsters, caught ski jumping fever after the 72 Olympic success of Yukio Kasaya. 
Now Abe has the chance to inspire another generation of Japanese young people. Coca-Cola Classic, sponsor of this profile and the Winter Olympics on CBS. How does a princess break into showbiz? Wonderful news, I got an agent! What's the catch? I said you could stay here. He's going to be living with us? Princesses, next. There'll be major laughs. On your tiny shoulders rest the hopes, dreams, and passions of everyone who loves this place we call Hollis. On Major Dad at a special time. No pressure, dear. And major fun with Martians. Night Court's Richard Mall and Cheers, Rhea Perlman in The Last Halloween. An all-new hour of family fun, Monday. On October 11th, 1991, while producing the next episode that was going to air, Red Fox was on set with the rest of the cast mates when he suffered a massive heart attack during rehearsal. Joshua Rich of Entertainment Weekly wrote at the time, it was an end so ironic that for a brief moment, castmates figured Fox, whose 1970s TV character often faked heart attacks, was kidding when he grabbed a chair and fell to the floor. Fox was later taken to Queen of Angels Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center, where that evening, he died. According to Della Reese's autobiography, there was constant tension between Red Fox and one of his producers. She feels that this was due to racism on the producer's part. And according to Reese, Fox suffered his fatal heart attack immediately after an argument with that producer. She stated that the producer showed no sorrow or respect when Fox was pronounced dead. An episode that was shot as a tribute to Fox and his character was scrapped because said producer deemed it too sad. Ultimately, CBS decided to pull the show from the lineup while it underwent a retooling. Only saying, like any family, the royal family will go on. And so the royal family did go on. And it was retooled with the addition of Jack A. Harry to the cast as Ruth Royal, originally billed as the younger sister to Victoria Royal, but later reworked as the elder daughter to Victoria Royal? Anyway, Ruth moved in to help the family cope with Al's sudden death. After that episode that aired in November, they took a few months, and the show returns to the lineup in April of 1992. We're going to go over that episode right now. It is New Beginnings, and this was the last episode that aired in November of 1991. Victoria learns that Al has died at a bowling alley, and his funeral is attended by many of his old friends, including Sanford and Son alumni Bubba Bexley and Slappy White. Bubba Bexley, of course, played Elston, and Slappy White played Shag Robinson. And we just talked about Slappy White on the previous episode on That's My Mama. And from there, we fast forward to April 8th, 1992. The Sneakin' Deacon. 
Victoria sees a match with Elizabeth and the new church deacon, but the deacon makes a play for Ruth, who doesn't like his game plan. Playing Deacon Hudson, Ron Glass. Oh, yeah, you can't see it, but Chico did the Ron Glass face from that EVC Now is the Time promo. Yes, because, of course, that would be um, him in Barney Miller. He was not yet cast for the new Odd Couple. The new Odd Couple wasn't even a thing back then. I think Ron Glass is making a good case for the Hall of Fame. And also, let's remember, he played a recurring character as a doctor on former installment Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. Yes, he did. Hey, Tim Stack. Ron Glass was also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was. And one more thing. We also see a recurring character come out of this episode, Willis Tillis. Played by Barry Shabaka Henley. Nowadays, he is on Bob Hart's Abishola. Second straight episode. Yep. With a Bob Hart's Abishola reference. Yeah, and this was after he was on Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Future Entry Luck, playing a parole officer because... Lord knows Michael Mann needed the work then. But also on this episode, playing Art, Omar Gooding. Known for his work on Wild and Crazy Kids and Smart Guy, and also for being Cuba Gooding Jr.'s younger brother. Hold on a second. You also forgot that Omar Gooding was also on Hanging with Mr. Cooper. He was a recurring player in uh, Seasons 1 and 2, Bumped up to main player for the rest of the run? Yes. But also, we have on the list the episode of Hanging with Mr. Cooper, where Mr. Cooper played against Charles Barkley in the preseason when he was with the Warriors. He's going to get his ass kicked. He's going to get his ass kicked like Guillermo got his ass kicked by Carlos Boozer. Again. What is a person who's like 5'3", five, 5'4", five, doing driving the lane to make a layup against a person who's 6'10"? Makes no sense. Now, 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 Mike. Mark Curry is at least 6'2". Uh, Mark Curry is like 6'6", six, six, but I'm talking about Guillermo, who's like 5'4". Did Mark Curry earlier this evening go for a layup against Carlos Boozer? No. No. It was Guillermo. Little Guillermo. When and Carlos Boozer just blocked him like this guy. And by the way, we're recording this show the night of the celebrity game. We are all disappointed the Miz's half-court shot did not go in. It did yeah. not count the half-court shot the Miz made. But let's be honest, it was an incredible shot the Miz made. It was an incredible shot indeed. Well, let's not lie. We're just disappointed that Guillermo did put anything in the bucket either no but he did have a shot that was stuck on the rim he did he did yes episode 10 status bro ruth regrets being cool toward willis while curtis is anything but cool after being gifted with the discount version of an expensive jacket and we once again have appearances by omar gooding as art 
and Jermaine Hopkins as Buddy. And at this point, I just want to point out something that I forgot earlier. In one episode, fun fact here, this is a fun fact. In one episode, while Al is waiting for an Atlanta Braves baseball game to air, The Street Beater by Quincy Jones, a.k.a. the theme song to Sanford and Son, can be heard playing on the television. Al then says, I love this show. I love how he says, you big dummy. So, let me get this straight. So, Sanford and Son exists in the universe of this show. As a TV show. As a TV show. So, is this like a last action hero thing where somebody else is playing the role of Fred Sanford instead of Red Fox? It's gotta be. At this point, it's gotta be. Episode 11. Hello, I must be going. Ruth takes off after Victoria takes her to task for being a poor influence on Kim and Curtis. No names of note, but check out the writers and the directors. Uh, David Garber and Michael Porteous, known for their work on a number of shows, David Garber was working on Good Morning, Miss Bliss, and The Fall Guy, and Sweet Valley High, and like two, three seasons of the Power Rangers franchise. And Michael Porteous would be working on Saved by the Bell and Hannah Montana, and That's So Raven. And Jack Shea is like a company director with uh, Columbia Pictures. He was working with uh, Silver Spoons, Designing Women, and The Jeffersons. And also the Bob Hope Show. So yeah, he was working on a lot of things. I'm going to make a case that there is a name on this episode. All right. This is just a man. Doesn't have a name. Just called Man is Ron Ross. And once you hear what he was on, you'll know why I said I'm going to make a case for him. He was on five episodes of Night Court, the OG Night Court playing Bailiff Dirk. What he did was he was like a fill-in bailiff if like uh, Bull or uh, Marshall Warfield's character, they were sick or on assignment or something, they couldn't be in court. He was like the backup bailiff, and he was like the scrawniest little thing. He did not look like a bailiff. He was not tall like Bull Shannon. He was not tall like Richard Mull, and he was not as built as Marshall Warfield. He did not have the girth. He did not have the height. He was this little. He was basically the male version of Selma. He was like, okay. I was going to say, he's like the 97 pound weakling you hear about, like in the Charles Atlas uh, ads. He did not look like a bailiff, but he played a bailiff. Episode 12, The Fame Game. Curtis gets a swelled head after being chosen to appear with Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. Not that Dr. Dre. A different Dr. Dre. Yeah, this is the fat Dr. Dre from Yo! MTV Raps. Yes. On an episode of Yo! MTV Raps. And yes, we see Ed Lover and Dr. Dre. Not that Dr. Dre. Well, that's good. I'm glad Ed Lover was on this episode. Also appearing on this episode, Cindy Heron. I believe we talked about her, if 
on a previous entry. If not, we know her as one-fourth of En Vogue. Well, you're never going to get it. Not this time, though. You're never going to get it. I knew you were going to do that. But let's not forget, En Vogue was the musical guest on the SNL episode in 1997 where Jeff Goldblum hosted, which featured the classic sketch with Will Ferrell's Harry Carey asking Jeff Goldblum if he'd eat the moon if it were made out of ribs. Another name on this episode, playing Joe Corey, Bumper Robinson. And really, what hasn't he done? Oh, he's done everything. And take a look at his IMDb. I totally forgot about this. He played Leon, another Night Court reference. On Night Court, he was like the orphan that uh, Harry Stone befriended in like season two, season three. He was one of those guys that can be both seen and heard in everything. He played the voice of Falcon in Disney Infinity Marvel Superheroes, and he was the voice of Falcon in the video game adaptation of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. He was also the first voice of Franklin on the uh, Charlie Brown specials. He also played a young O.J. Simpson in the O.J. Simpson story from 1995. Oh my god, I forgot about that! I saw that when it aired! It was terrible! It was so terrible. Obviously rusted television because of OJ Mania back in the day. Yeah. Oh, it was. I wonder if they got anybody to play Judge Ito. Looking! (laughs) Oh no. Greg, why did you say that? If there wasn't somebody playing Judge Ito that special, then this movie can go F itself. Greg? Well, this yeah. movie could officially go F itself. Oh, no Judge Ito. No Judge Ito. Oh, but, we do have another, uh, but we do have another appearance from Marianne Alda as Eunice Simpson. Eunice Simpson? Yeah, man. I don't know, man. I don't know. All right. I just, I just don't know. Well, well, it just—it sounds like a character from Mama's Family. I know this is Eunice on Mama's Family, but it sounds like a Mama's Family character. Episode thirteen, the last episode to air before the show was ultimately canceled. Mo money. Curtis finds his part-time job taxing time-wise when he has to work extra hours to cover the taxman's share previously earmarked for other expenses. I'm going to argue that this is a name here, but playing a guy by the name of Bob Bryant, Bo Billingsley. He is the role of Jet Black on all 26 episodes of Cowboy Bebop. The cartoon, not the live action show. And now we're going to fast forward 27 years to episode 14 Coco in charge. Coco, by the way, is Ruth's nickname. Victoria takes a trip to Uncle Ed's and leaves Coco in charge of the kids. Now, no names in the cast for this episode, but check out the writers. The writing team of Mike Scully and Brian Scully. Oh, from The Simpsons. 
Yes, from The Simpsons. And now we go to the last episode. The Big Stink. Victoria gets a job working at the store with Coco. Kim has a school project that teaches her about marriage and family life. We have a return performance by uh, Bumper Robinson as Joe Corey. But playing Nina Martin as a teacher, Jonelle Allen from Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, and at least one week of Match Game. Yeah, she was a known entity back in the late 70s, early 80s. She didn't just do Match Game, she did body language. She was and still is all over the place. But yeah, that's the show. And while ratings did very well in the first half of the season, when the show came back in April, it was still up against Unsolved Mysteries. But now it was up against The Wonder Years on ABC. Ratings never recovered. And the show was canceled with two episodes remaining in the season. Of course, those two episodes would air eventually as part of the package on Decades Network. All of the episodes can be streamed unofficially. The show was never given a proper home video release, but you can watch all of the episodes online unofficially on YouTube. And you can definitely see that in the first seven episodes with Redbox, the show was on its game. Everything was falling into place. The show had the audience. The cast had the chemistry. Everything was just going right. This was a show that was built for success. And in the last eight episodes, you could tell that they were obviously working through the motions. They were trying to put out as good a quality show as they can, given all of the circumstances. But the show just could not recover. It was always going to be Red Fox's baby. And not just because, and this is from IMDb, the reason this sitcom came about was so Red Fox could pay off his back taxes, which were reportedly astronomical. But the ratings were never as there were. It didn't even finish the order. Like the week after, CBS aired a Country Music Hall of Fame at 25 special. And the week after that, they started airing repeats of Davis Rules. So thoughts, gentlemen? I think it's a prime example of what happens when the star dies. Especially when it's a big star like Red Fox. That was like the main genesis of this show was Red Fox and Della Reese talking, bantering like old friends on the set of Harlem Nights and Eddie Murphy catching lightning in a bottle. You don't get that sort of idiosyncrasy. That just doesn't happen. I mean, you capture that lightning in a bottle and then you build around it. And for something like what happened to happen that's just tragic how do you even continue from that well they did continue and what started out as ingenious comedy 
and in addition to a legacy of everybody involved, ultimately became a very somber and very tragic thing on TV. Hopefully, we did the legacy of Red Fox proud with this episode. And if not, well, I'm sure he's looking up on heaven and calling us a big dummy. Anyway, you can listen to all of our episodes over at ItWasAThingOnTV.com. There you can also follow all of our socials at ItWasAThingOnTV, except on Facebook, where we're at ItWasAThingOnTVPodcast. We're also on Mastodon, believe it or not. So yeah. don't forget. Yeah, go to at it was a thing on TV at tvwatch.forty. There you'll follow us on our Mastodon page. You can figure it out. Sometimes it's very complicated with Mastodon considering like what servers like the certain server you're on is featured on other servers. I don't know. It's Mastodon can be very weird, but if you can find us Go in the search bar and go at it was a thing on TV at tvwatch.party and follow us and you'll be connected to us there. And also we are available where all fine podcasts can be streamed. Don't forget, like and subscribe, rate and review. Five stars only because positive vibes only. Even though we never get five star reviews on iTunes. Let's be honest. But if you can give us a five star review on iTunes. I'll send you something. I'll try to find something and I'll send it to you. I don't know what it would be, but I'll send you something. So please do that. Well, Greg, you've now said that out loud. You can't go back on that promise. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, um, you're going to want to be with us next week where not only are we talking about a show that was almost stillborn because two of its stars were on an unsavory movie from Canada. But also, I don't know if you guys know this, but Mike is having a birthday. He is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And because Mike is having a birthday, he wants us to talk about a puppet. But not just any puppet. Perhaps the most famous puppet, non-animal, of the 1970s. Well, hold on a second. I gotta mention something. Now, unfortunately, for the second episode, I won't be around for most of it, but I promised you something. So we're gonna have a third wheel in this episode. So we got... I found somebody who can help watch the show while I'm away for the second episode. So I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, no, trust me. You're not going to have a bad old guys. It's going to be a good... It's, I promise you, you're going to enjoy what I got for this second episode. I feel honored that I'm going to have some special guest, a presumably one-time-only guest, appearing on my Money in the Bank episode. Who knows? It might not be a one-time thing. Who knows? Maybe he'll be a regular member of the cast. Before all of that, Greg and I... We're going to have another live Saturday film watch because this is, if my math is correct, the 15th anniversary. Yes, it's the 15th anniversary year of the MCU. Mm -hmm. And since we got Ant-Man the Wasp Quantumania out, why not go to where it all began 
with the first Iron Man movie from 2008. Yep. Back when the uh, MCU was not even a glimmer in Kevin Feige's eye. Well, it was a glimmer in his eye, but it was like a dream. Yeah, it was a dream. And it wouldn't have taken form until Disney bought up the Marvel company. So all of that's happening in the week to come right here on It Was A Thing On TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other and we will see you for the next one. It's a red alert when the grandkids move in on Red Fox. The man get a little peace and quiet. It's the season's most irresistible comedy, Raves Newsweek. You gonna sit there and defy the man that made love to you last night? Rolling over on me accidentally in your sleep ain't my idea, making love. Five days to the royal family on Red Hot Wednesday.